All right, we're going to transition to Daniel chapter 6 and wrap up our series on Daniel um, this morning. I had a dream at the beginning of this week. I kid you not. True story. And in my dream, I was, anybody see my little red car? The little red Alero I drive around? Yeah. That's actually my wife's car. It's her first car. We still have it. And so I, I, in my dream, it's the car I use because she often drives the van with our children. And um, in my dream, I pulled into my driveway and I stepped out of the car and I closed the door and my hand was still on the handle and I looked up and if you, if you haven't seen my house, um, the driveway comes to the side of the house and the garage is, is on the side of our house and then the front of our house is up a little bit on a hill. So you got to walk up a hill to the front of our house. And so as I closed the door, I looked up to the front, towards the front of my house up this hill and there was a mountain lion standing there. And, it, and the mountain lion looked at me, I was looking at it, and as soon as I locked in eye contact with this thing, it crouched down and then, like, got into the pounce position. And I'm standing there, and it, it just, it immediately leaps. And all this happens this fast. So I step out of the car, close the door, look up, and it's coming. And, and as this thing is soaring at me, all, all I could utter was, help me, Lord. <laughs> that's, that's what came out of my mouth as this, as this thing, those mountain lions pouncing at me. I just said, help me, Lord. And then that was it. That was my dream. I didn't wake up, which it, usually if I have a dream like that, I'll wake up, right? Like something startles you. But I didn't. I just went into another dream. And this was, I think, like last Sunday or, or Monday evening. It was early in the week. And then uh, I remembered where we were in the scriptures, which is interesting, because today we are in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel and the lion. So I don't know if the Lord was saying anything or not through that. I just thought it was interesting, <laughs> timing of a dream about, about being attacked by a mountain lion when we're studying uh, Daniel chapter 6. So this morning we're wrapping up our series on Daniel, and this whole series has been framed by the verse, the famous verse in Proverbs Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And we've seen this play out in story after story, chapter after chapter in Daniel's life. He's faced with an impossible situation, a lose-lose situation. But Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they choose to trust God. And then time and time again, God makes a straight path where there was none for them. Had anyone noticed that? Anybody notice that? Yeah? Yeah, isn't that cool? So if you, if you didn't know, Gretchen had hid Daniel in the eye of the lion, which is pretty cool. So there's Daniel. I didn't want to give it away, you know, too early, but, but there it is. Pretty cool. So uh, Daniel is filled with interesting uh, parallels. Uh, chapter 1 and chapter 4 kind of parallel each other. Same with 2 and 5, and then 3 and 6. And if you remember in chapter 3, that's when Rakshak and Benny are thrown into the fiery furnace because they refuse uh, to worship the golden statue uh, of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar gives them one more chance. He says, you can bow, otherwise I'm going to throw you in. And they say, well, we're not going to bow, and God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't save us, we're still not going to bow because he's the one true God. And then they get thrown into the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar looks in, and instead of seeing three people, he sees, remember? He sees four! 
And they come out of the fire, and it says that they didn't even smell like smoke. There's not even the smell of smoke on their clothes. And Nebuchadnezzar's mind is blown, of course, and, and uh, it's an amazing story. So Daniel 6 actually has a lot of interesting parallels and echoes uh, of that story. So in this chapter, Daniel refuses to worship uh, the king and is thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel, as we're going to read, says that the Lord sent his angel to shut the mouth of the lions. And Daniel comes out and it says that there wasn't a scratch found on his body. Um, so there's some uh, really beautiful and, and cool parallels to uh, this story. The events of Daniel 6 likely took place within the first two years of the newly forming Persian government. By this time, some of the Jewish captives had returned to Palestine under the leadership of Zerubbabel, and Daniel was over 80 years of age. All right, who in this room is, and if you don't want to raise your hand, no pressure, who, who in this room is over 80 years old? Raise them high. High and proud. All right, we got, yeah, that's awesome. Praise God. We got a couple back here, a couple here. All right, how would you feel being dropped into a lion's pit today? So for some reason, I, I just, when I picture Daniel in my Sunday school little mind, you know what I mean? I see him as this young man being, being thrown in. And, and so I googled pictures, and sure enough, a lot of the, the Sunday school pictures, they always represent Daniel as a young man for some reason. He was not. Daniel was, was 80 years old at least. He'd been serving uh, in exile for almost 70 years. He, he'd been uh, gone through all sorts of things, and he was an old man. When, when this story takes place. And it's just so cool to see his faith and his courage and his str- the strength of his character and, and his heart as he faces uh, what he faces. So Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. One last introductory note. Darius, no one knows exactly. Scholars are, aren't 100% sure who Darius is. Um, so some believe that, that he was uh, someone, because we know the Persian king at this point was Cyrus. Um, the, the one who ruled over the entire Persian empire was a man named Cyrus. Um, and so there's been confusion over the years. As who exactly is Darius? Was he like an under king that just ruled the city of Babylon um, within the larger government of Persia? Um, or, and this is what I tend to think, I think that he was uh, Cyrus, and this is his... Uh, his ruling name in Babylon. So kings would have different names in different regions. And um, this is a name that's connected with the Medes. And the Medes had a long-term relationship with Babylon. And so, so what I believe is the most likely answer is that Darius and Cyrus are one and the same person and that he had a different name in different locations within the empire. Does that make sense? So there's, there's some confusion around that, but that's my best guess according to the, the smart people that I read. So... <laughs> Verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. So a satrap was just an official. So he set up 120 officials, satraps, over his kingdom. He's decentralizing the power, realizing this is too much for me to govern by myself, 
And so he sets up 120 uh, people under him to rule under him. And then over those 120, he sets uh, three higher officials of whom Daniel was one. So if you kind of got a pyramid where the king's at the top, then you have the three officials, and then underneath that, the 120. So likely each of them uh, had 40 of the satraps that, that reported to them. So Daniel would have been over a third of the kingdom, essentially, and would have had 40 of these leaders that reported directly to him. Verse 3, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So um, this is early on. This is happening quickly. This is really early on in, in Darius's reign. And Daniel quickly distinguishes himself above all the other officials and rulers and makes plans to make him over the entire kingdom. Verse 4, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. We know Daniel was a man of extreme integrity. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. That's an amazing testimony. When you've got people who are trying their hardest to dig dirt on you. <laughs> like, that's a tough place to be. They're doing everything they can to find dirt on Daniel. And the only thing that they can come up with is the fact that Daniel truly loves God. That's amazing. That's awesome. Verse 6, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. This is likely a really small group. It's probably the two other officials and maybe a couple of satraps. It wasn't the 120. This is, this is a small group of them that are scheming out of jealousy um, towards Daniel. So these men make a plan to trap Daniel and they come to the king. Verse 7, and all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed. So they say, everyone agrees with us. There's no way that enough time has passed or the word has gotten out uh, to all these different officials. So they're saying, everyone's agreed with us, which implies that Daniel also agrees with them, which clearly he doesn't because he knows nothing about it at this point. So, So they're lying to the king. They say, The counselors and the governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When you read this um, in an English translation, what it appears to be saying is that the officials are saying to the king, make yourself the only God that everyone prays to. But um, in, in the, the Aramaic and uh, in the Hebrew, what, it, what it's actually saying more, more likely is make yourself so that all prayers have to go through you. So they weren't they weren't saying that Darius is the only God that can be prayed to. They were saying that all prayers made to all gods have to go through him. In other words, he would be the mediator between God and men. 
he would be the great high priest. And all prayers and petitions could only go through Darius. Now, it's clearly not unprecedented in the ancient world. In fact, it was very common for a king to exalt his divinity and say that he was a god. Um, And we know that Persian kings did that. And we know that goes all the way back to Pharaoh, um, who saw himself a god. And that goes forward in time to the time of the Romans when they set up the cult of Caesar and they made everyone in the Roman Empire pray to the emperor. So this is, this is nothing out of the ordinary, but, but it's unlikely that, that what they're saying is for 30 days you'll be a god. Because then what happens at the end of the 30 days? It's not like Darius is like, okay, I'm no more, I'm, I'm not god anymore. But rather for this special time, um, everyone has to pray through you. Now, I think that's important to note because there, there are echoes, as we're going to see later, there are echoes of, the, of Christ in this, in this chapter that are remarkable. And the, there are echoes of the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that are, that are beautiful and profound. And we know that Jesus is the mediator between God and men. And all communication with the Father has been made possible because of, because of Christ. So, all that to say, they say, everyone's got to pray through you to the gods for, for the next 30 days. And the king agrees with them. And he signs this petition and puts it in place. Verse 10. When Daniel knew, so he finds out, that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, there's nothing um, in the scriptures that tells us we have to pray three times a day facing Jerusalem. But Daniel was a man of the word, clearly, and a man of the, of the Torah, and a man of uh, the covenant, and a man of, uh, of scripture. And in 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel, sorry, 1 Kings, let me get my, get my right scripture. 1 Kings, chapter 8, Solomon builds the temple, and he dedicates it to God. And in his prayer of dedication, he says, when your people disobey you and, they take, and you take them into exile, they will turn and face this temple from wherever they're scattered and they will pray to you. And so Daniel, who's a man of the word and knows the word of God, probably remembered that. And so he made it his practice in the morning, afternoon, evening, which means he started his day, he's con- he continued his day, and he ended his day in prayer. And he faced Jerusalem, the city uh, that represented the presence and the blessing of God. And he prayed uh, for God's people and he prayed for the kingdom. And remember, this story is taking place after Zerubbabel has already taken the first captives back to Jerusalem. And so Daniel is probably praying for those very people who had gone back. He's praying that God would work in them, that God would reestablish his covenant, that God would maybe build the, the temple again, that God would work in Jerusalem. So Daniel's praying, and he, he's not scared. He does his thing as normal. Then, verse 11, then these men, those who uh, desire to trap him, then these men came by agreement. That's the same word that was used at the beginning of the chapter when it says they agreed. They came by agreement to the king to trap Daniel. Now they come by agreement to trap Uh, Daniel himself. They came by agreement and found Daniel making petitions and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. So surely I said that. 
Verse 13, then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, and the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And you can just see the king. When he, when he hears this. And we're going to see that he wrestles with this and he, he's going to try to fight it with everything he knows how. And so he realizes in this moment, he realizes what's just happened. They set a trap uh, for, for Daniel and he walked right into it. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and he set his mind to deliver Daniel and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. So apparently they caught Daniel probably in the morning. First thing in the morning. We know what Daniel does in the morning. He prays to God. So first thing in the morning, they go to his house and they trap him. And then as soon as they see him praying, not through the king, not to the king, but to God, they go immediately to the king. And the king spends the rest of his day trying to figure out how to save his buddy Daniel. And apparently the, the, the rule, the injunction had to be carried out in that, in that same day. So he's got to be thrown in that very day. So he spends the rest of his day trying to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Verse 15, then these men came by agreement. There's that word again. So once again, they come by agreement to the king and said to the king, know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So now they're putting pressure on him. You've got to make this happen. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So this pagan king, who has no relationship whatsoever to Yahweh, to, to the Lord, he's heartbroken over Daniel and, and the fact that he's been uh, tricked in this way through this scheme. And as Daniel's being put into the den, the king is, is praying essentially for him. May the God whom you serve so faithfully day and night, may he save you. May he deliver you. And then the stone is placed over the den and the king sealed it with his ring. There was hot wax put on it and he stamped his his ring into it, his signet ring, which was a signature. So no one could tamper with it. Then the king, listen to this verse. This is so cool. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fed from, fled from him. So the king typically would have had a, whatever, feast and music and entertainment and instead, he spends the night fasting and tossing and turning in bed, unable to sleep. So here's my question for you. Who had a better night? Seriously, who had, who had a better night? Daniel, da- Daniel or the king? The, the king who lived in, this, this was, if this is Cyrus, this is the most powerful man on earth. If this is someone under him, this is the second or third most powerful man on earth. Um, regardless, this is the seat of power on earth. And I guarantee you this man had the nicest sleep number bed available. Right? He, he, he had everything to make him comfortable. And yet he spends the night tossing and turning while Daniel, 80 plus years old, with 
vicious lions is chilling and at rest with God. It's amazing. Verse 19, then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste. So the moment the sun comes up, the king, you know, the old Bible uh, girds his loins. He picks up his thing and he goes running to check on his buddy. Verse 20, and as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. So he's not even there yet, right? As he's still on his way, as he's still running to the den, he's shouting out, he's crying out in a tone of anguish, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And he's kind of caught between hope and despair. He spent the night unable to sleep. Surely, surely Daniel's dead. He, the lions have eaten him. But, but maybe, maybe his God is real. Maybe his God will save him. I, and so he runs. There's this sliver of hope. Even though he was despairing, has God been able to save you, the one you serve continually? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. In the ancient world, um, especially in the ancient Near East, there was something called trial by ordeal. And so when you were uh, accused of a crime, instead of being brought before a jury of peers or, or a jury of any kind, oftentimes your trial would have been a trial by ordeal. In other words, you would have been put purposefully into an ordeal that it was unlikely for you to survive. And if you survived, that meant that you weren't guilty. That's some kind of trial. So the most common form of this was they would take, and this happened in Persia, it also happened in Babylon, and I think it happened in Assyria and some other places, but they would take a person who was accused of a crime, and they would go to a river, a, a really, like, with rapids and all sorts of stuff, and they would drop the person in the middle of, of the river, um, or perhaps a river with crocodiles in it or something like that. They, w- they would drop them in, and then they'd be like, good luck. If you're innocent, you'll survive. And it was trial by ordeal. So this... Um, this episode, uh, scholars believe that this was likely a trial by ordeal. Because if you remember, he was accused, but there was no trial. He was accused by these men, and then he's put into this ordeal, an impossible situation. And so the only explanation for his survival is that he was truly innocent. And so he's put into the ordeal, the lions, the king's hoping, and then notice Daniel's response. What does Daniel emphasize? Daniel emphasizes his innocence before the king and uh, before, before God. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. I have not sinned against the God and I have not sinned against you. O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Because he had trusted in his God, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whose clothes did not smell of smoke, who had no singed, uh, you know, strings on the, on their shirts. Um, it was this miraculous protection by the angel of the Lord. The same happens with Daniel. So while the king is tossing and turning, unable to sleep, Daniel is with God among the lions. And uh, if this is the angel of the Lord then as Christians, who we believe this is, is he was with Jesus. 
Daniel was with Jesus, hanging out with the lions. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Verse 24, and the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Lest anyone think that the king fed the lions so that they wouldn't eat Daniel, or that he drugged them, before these people reached the ground, they are devoured by the same lions that, that left Daniel unharmed. Now, I think to our, our modern sensibilities, that seems really brutal. <laughs> <laughs> them and their children cast in. Uh, a couple things to remember. This is, this is before Christ. This is Old, Old Testament. It's also a pagan kingdom. Um, and, and furthermore, um, the Jews were exiles in this land, which means that they were the, um, the oppressed and they had no power or control whatsoever. And so any hint of rejoicing is is actually just a God actually protected his people. God actually protected his people because they had been so torn down uh, to, to nothing and exiled in a place. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Who else, what other, what other story should this remind us of? In Daniel. Who else wrote a letter to all the peoples and nations on earth? Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, after God brought him low. Remember, uh, Nebuchadnezzar exalted himself and said, who on earth is like you? No one on earth is like you. And then God makes him like a beast to eat grass for seven years. And then after that, he writes chapter four, the the letter, um, which is a declaration of God's goodness. So the same thing. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. That's a little bit different than the beginning of the chapter. When all prayers have to go through him, I make a decree that all people have to tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall, shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. This is from uh, Temper Longman, <coughs> uh, a scholar I really respect. And he writes of this passage, As we look back to the cross, we see that Jesus himself faced the same threat as Daniel in the lion's den. As early Christian art attests, so the early Christians picked up on this story as being uh, a prophetic representation of, of Christ's crucifixion. Daniel's emergence from the lion's den is typological of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's just, typological is just a big word to say it represents. It's representative of. As Daniel was, was framed on false charge by the Persian administrators, Jesus too was framed by the jealous religious leaders of the day. They reported to the Roman authorities that he was claiming political authority with the title King of the Jews. Jesus, like Daniel, was arrested while at prayer in a private location. Daniel in his room, Jesus in the garden. 
Pilate, like Darius, worked for his release. But in the end, both Daniel and Jesus are turned over to be executed. The big difference between the two is that Daniel emerges without a scratch while Jesus dies. Yet that difference, the difference between those two stories, it actually underlines the superiority of the reality to its foreshadow. In other words, the fact that Jesus died actually illustrates how much greater his story is than anything that could possibly point to it. Jesus dies, yet he emerges from the tomb. Jesus dies, and yet he emerges from the tomb. Praise God. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. (laughs) One thing I want to encourage you as we wrap up this series this morning, a couple of things stand out to me from from our time over the last six weeks looking at Daniel. And I I emphasized this a couple weeks ago, but it's worth noting again. Daniel lives hundreds of years before the time of Christ. His hope in God, his hope in rescue, his hope in Messiah, his hope in the coming kingdom, they're just shadows, they're prophecies, they're hopes, they're dreams, and he looks forward to something that he can't fully possess. And yet, even though he lives before Christ, before the death and resurrection, before the infilling of the Spirit at Pentecost, Daniel is able to walk in integrity by trusting the Lord and face situations that are probably more difficult than the average situations you and I are facing. And yet, he is able to walk in obedience and integrity. We have, and I cannot emphasize this enough, we have the immeasurable hope and pleasure and gift of living after Christ rather than before him. So what we look to, our hope is not centered on something that we can't understand because it hasn't happened yet. Our hope is centered on Jesus, the true, the one who went down into the tomb, into the den and died and was resurrected. And so our hope in life is not in a shadow of what's to come, but in the profound reality of the resurrection of Christ. So if Daniel can walk in integrity and obedience, we too can walk in integrity and obedience to God. Because our hope is not in something. Our hope is, is, is sure and built upon Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. Right? And so we look to Christ And we have the perfect example of Jesus. The perfect example who was sinless in every way. Now Daniel sinned. He was a man. Jesus, however, walked in complete perfection though he was tempted in every single way. And because he was tempted in every way, he can relate to us in every way. And so when we are faced with our Nebuchadnezzars and our lion's pits and our golden statues and our suffering and our pain and our relational challenges, when we are faced by those things, we have the sure hope that Jesus himself walks with us, having conquered sin, death, and the grave. So this should encourage us. It should also challenge us. I hope that you're challenged by the story of Daniel to walk with integrity, to walk in obedience and faithfulness to God. Praise team, you can come up. We're going to close our time in worship. I'd encourage you in the coming weeks to continue uh, to meditate and chew on these stories. And as I've said from the beginning, it's so easy to think about these stories just from the flannel graph, like Bible story perspective. 
this was a real man who went through really, really hard situations. And, and so the more that we can move, I mean, Sunday school is great. It's a great way to learn when we're kids. It's not a great way to live uh, when we're adults. It, it's, it's not good to live your life on the milk of the word. Um, move to the meat, people of God. And so continue to wrestle and struggle through these passages, the difficulties, the questions that are raised, the struggles that Daniel went through, and, and be encouraged and blessed. I'm going to pray and just ask God that whatever lesson he has for us through his word that we would learn and apply. Father, we thank you for the testimony of Daniel, who's our brother in the faith. Um, as, as the writer of Hebrews says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Um, Daniel's one of those, right? He's, he's uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, all, all of those who went through these trials and walked with you faithfully and had relationship, covenant relationship with you, they're, they're part of the cloud of witnesses that, that is watching and, and cheering and spurring on the church today with Christ, who is himself the great mediator, praying for us, making an intercession for us. So I pray, God, that um, you would take these stories from the book of Daniel that we've been walking through over the last six weeks, God, and that you would plant them deeply in our heart, and that we would continue to meditate and chew on them that we would feast on your word and grow in you. We worship you as the one true God. Help us, help us to walk with you in that kind of way where no matter what we're faced with, we choose to worship the one true God. We bless you, God. We sing in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing to our God.